More than 4,000 graduate students in over 80 different programs of study. You guys are sort of all over the world, it seems like. It's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. Here on Inspiration Dissemination. of this data set stretching over a much longer period of time. They're now converted into basically mathematical shapes, and we can now analyze the statistics of this shape. Good evening, listeners. Good evening, listeners. It's the 3rd of November, 2019, and you're tuned into 88.7 KBVR Corvallis. It is currently just after 7 p.m., and on a Sunday, that can mean only one thing. It's time for another episode of Inspiration Dissemination. I'm Kayla Delventhal. And I'm Heather Forsyth. At Oregon State, we have more than 4,000 graduate students in over 80 different programs of study. And here on Inspiration Dissemination, we feature the research and the personal stories of one of these students every single week. If you're a student at Oregon State and you're interested in coming on the show, or you just want to find out more about all the awesome things going on at Oregon State, you can check out our blog at blogs.oregonstate.edu inspiration. And here you can also find up, find out more about our up-and-coming guest and find links to our Twitter and Facebook pages and also the podcast. So if you miss an episode or want to go back and listen to old ones, they're all on the podcast. Inspiration dissemination is recorded live. And should they occur, any opinions expressed on the show are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily represent Oregon State University or this station. Tonight, we are joined by Sam Harry, a second-year PhD student in the Civil Engineering program at Oregon State University. So Sam works in the OSU's uh, Wave Lab with Dr. Harry Yah. Yay? Yay. Yay. Thank you. Um, so we're really happy you could join us. Thanks for coming tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. Um, so we were talking before the show, and one thing that really drew me into our conversation was the interesting methods and scientific instruments that you've used throughout your graduate um, experience uh, to conduct your research. And so I think this might be a fun place for us to start. Um, can you tell us a bit about the largest centrifuge in North America and why you used it for your research? Yeah, yeah. Um, so when I started my master's program uh, a couple years ago, we um, we built a what we called the Tsunami Maker, which is uh, basically an aluminum, an aluminum box. It's pretty close to the size of a bathtub. And it, uh, we can use it to make tsunamis within the centrifuge. And the centrifuge itself is, they call it a geotechnical centrifuge, and it's this really quite large. It's nine meters in radius. It can spin um, a couple tons of um, modeling equipment. And uh, <clears throat> uh, let's see. Well, maybe we should explain to listeners what a centrifuge is, just off yeah. the bat because maybe for me working in a lab I've used a centrifuge like a small one for tiny little like two milliliter test tubes and we're talking one on a scale of like what you said 18 feet or meters it's, and yeah nine meters okay um yeah it's quite a bit larger than that um but it's fundamentally the same thing um I guess it was actually built for um testing with NASA first space flight sort of when they were first developing um space flight equipment um, and it's just a large um, steel bar, essentially, and a basket hangs off the end. And when it starts to spin, the basket sort of swings up and you 
placed your model in it, and now it's under sort of simulated high gravity. Okay. Um, which is, um, you know, the same that you might use for a smaller centrifuge as well. Mm -hmm. But So there's a force that's applied to whatever is in the centrifuge. And in this case, you have a bathtub-sized wave maker? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and it's all made of steel, and it can, uh, the one we made can go up to 40, 40 Gs of gravity. Um, so okay. it's, it's really quite strong. Um, oh, that's fast. Yeah. And let's see. We used it to make waves um, that are about, our, our model was about four meters of water depth. And, um, well, the prototype scale, right? We're pretending it's like uh, four meters of water depth and about a football field's worth of soil. Um, of course, in reality, it's only a couple inches of water and uh, maybe hmm, size. <laughs> trying to think. Like a shoebox? He's using yeah, like his a shoebox. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 a little bit bigger than a shoebox uh, worth of soil. Cool. What kind of questions do you ask with a giant centrifuge that you couldn't why is it that we need you need to use that or what questions were you asking with it mm -hmm. for example? Yeah, so more traditionally people would do soil experiments and uh, they would fill rather than having a um, rather than having sort of a wave making device they would just have a uh, more like a bathtub sized bin of soil. Um, and typically they would be studying um, a common experiment, I suppose, is earthquake liquefaction. And so they'll shake the box and they'll study the soil response. Um, and so the centrifuge is really good for studying soil response and soil behavior. Um, and the reason we made the wave maker is we could, it would allow us to do the soil response to the waves that we're generating. Um, so it's really its its biggest strength is the idea that you can study both the tsunami and the soil response to the tsunami at the same time. Cool. So by being inside of a centrifuge, you're controlling certain uh, variables that you wouldn't be able to outside of a centrifuge. Yeah, gravity. The you know the sort of fake gravity that you get from a centrifuge mm -hmm. is really the, the what. The thing that you can control in addition to, um, you know, a, a more standard laboratory. But, um, of course, you can control all kinds of other things with more standard laboratory te techniques. Hmm. So what was the main research question that you were getting at with this method? Yeah. Um, well, let's see. I guess it depends on who you ask. Um, so <laughs> for, my, for my project, um, it worked really well because um, I sort of... Um, my master's project was sort of piggybacked on top of the larger research project. Um, but so for my master's work, it was uh, boulder transport by tsunamis. So tsunamis ha have historically moved very large boulders. Some of them are as large as like 200 tons. Um, and making a model of a boulder that that's that large would be difficult in a more traditional lab. Not that you can't do it. Uh, people have done it. But um, one of the strengths of this is, you know, you can make these simulate these really large waves, these really large boulders, um, and with what is effectively a marble. Um, and you can make a our one of our larger model was um, about one meter in diameter. Um, so it's really a quite large rock that we're simulating. Um, that would be hard to do in a more traditional lab. Okay, so. Why would we want to study boulder transport? So I can imagine that there's a tsunami that happens and it picks up boulders and it puts them somewhere. How long do they stay there and why do we care that that happened? Yeah, yeah. So um, the thing that's interesting about boulder transport is if you 
you can imagine maybe a tsunami happens a thousand years ago and it moves one of these boulders and it's so large that it's, you know, not many processes that could move it. Um, and so you might be able to say something about a tsunami that happened a thousand years ago because you find a boulder that you think was moved by a tsunami. And if you know how big the boulder is, you might be able to say at least what the minimum size of the tsunami is that moved that. Um, but, uh, you know, it's hard to measure that happening. Uh, you know, it's not like you can just go down to the tsunami beach and watch it move <laughs> boulders, right? So you sort of have to make model experiments and study how that happens to sort of infer about what might have happened in the field. Cool. So in a way, by studying how boulders are moved by tsunamis, you're able to understand tsunamis themselves better and how old they are and kind of like how geologists can read rocks and learn about history. You're reading rocks, but learning about tsunamis. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of, it, it helps with that. I mean, the geologist would be able to tell from the rock when the tsunami happened, um, and then our research would contribute to estimating the size of the tsunami that they, you know, they might know when and where it happened, but how big it is is really a question we were going after. Okay. So this was, the big centrifuge was for your master's work, but you no longer work with the big centrifuge now, right? You work on the Wave Lab in, mm -hmm. on campus. So can you tell us about the Wave Lab and what tools you work with there? Because you also have some really big, interesting, cool tools that you use now in your PhD. Yeah, yeah. Um, so right now I work in the Edwards Lab. Um, I like to call it the glass tank. Um, and so we have a glass tank that it's, it's about seven meters by three meters um, and a few centimeters deep. So it, um, it kind of, it's about the size of a, um, like a community kiddie pool. Um, oh, so it's only a few centimeters deep. Yeah, usually we use five centimeters of, of water depth, but you, you can go a bit higher. Okay, um, so the waves you're sim simulating aren't huge. No, no, they're, they're really quite small. Um, <laughs> we have to turn off the um, air conditioning in the lab, because if you leave the AC on, you can actually see the waves. Um, <laughs> and it, yeah, it's, it's pretty careful stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And what's really cool about it, and the reason that the tank's made out of glass, because um, it might just seem fragile for the outset, but we use lasers to make measurements about what the water's doing, the water depth, the flow velocities, and um, the glass allows us to do that uh, more effectively. You dye the water green. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so we dye the water green, um, usually, I mean, I suppose not all the time, but... Um, <laughs> And we do that because when you shine a laser through it, it glows. Um, it's a special dye that it's a fluorescent dye. <clears throat> and so when you shine the laser through it, it glows and then you can take a picture of it and it makes it maybe not trivial, but relatively straightforward to identify the water surface. And so then you, from these pictures, you have spatially and time varying water surface measurements, which is pretty cool and hard to do um, with other techniques. If you want to see pictures of the green water in the Wave Lab, you can go to the blog, and there's a couple of pictures of some very green water. And <laughs> um, I believe you said it looks like snot. Giant snot. Yeah, giant snot. Ethically snot. sourced, of course. Ethically sourced giant snot, yes. Did you come up with that name? No, I don't think so. I think that was um, Maggie, who worked with me, actually, in my master's project. Oh, yeah. Maggie is a former Inspiration Dissemination host. <laughs> So you're using these lasers to build models, correct? Um, well, the lasers are for making measurements. Um, and so we might, uh, we might paint something in the model to sort of facilitate the laser. But usually for the models, we're using really simple um, 
I guess, well, it depends, right? There's, there's all kinds <laughs> of things like you can simple. do. Like it's simple. Let me just. Oh. Well, yeah. So it's usually either like a rectangular or like a cylindrical shape. Um, and then we study the, the how the waves interact with those shapes. Um, and even though they're geometrically simple, like from a construction standpoint, uh, usually the the focus is really uh, mathematically challenging problems for modeling waves. Um, and so we can use fairly high quality data, fairly careful experiments as a benchmark for numerical models. Okay, so you build models from this glass tank that you have, and then what are these models applied to? Um, yeah, so it depends. Uh, uh, okay, so tsunami research is pretty common. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of um, sort of uh, fundamental wave mechanics type stuff, like uh, interacting, how waves interact with each other. Um, and let's see. Uh, my, my particular project now is we're studying how tsunamis um, interact with rivers and how they might propagate and destroy uh, infrastructure that's along a riverside. A lot of major cities are built along these rivers, and if a tsunami were to happen there and you have critical infrastructure near the river, it's you perhaps need to be more careful about developing it there. Mm -hmm. I think, can we take a step back and... Yeah. For those who may be listening and don't know what civil engineers do, can you define civil engineering and, uh, yeah, do that. Yeah, uh, define. I mean, I don't know. But generally, Describe. I, yeah, generally I think of civil engineering as being all the things that um, they're, they're, they're typically larger in scale, but they're typically things that we rely on every day. Things like roadways, bridges, um, how the water gets to your house, um, how you build the house, right? How do you build it safely? Um, as, as well as, you know, the soil mechanics, making sure that nothing you build in the soil and the soil doesn't move away. You don't want it to. And um, But uh, my particular focus is on coastal and ocean engineering, which is about how you might build an offshore structure or structures on the coastline. How did you find yourself doing civil engineering? Yeah. Um, I mean, it was a it was a total guess. <laughs> I thought, hey, this might be nice. I might like this um, when I started my undergraduate experience and um, I ended up liking it and sticking with it um, all lucky. these years later. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so you were in college and what things drew you to civil engineering? Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, there's two really cool things about civil engineering. One is it's um, and sort of it's got a practical side to it. You know, people are going to build real things and uh, you're you're going to look at real, real things that happen. Um, and you're, it's it's all there's lots of physical type phenomenon going on, real um, classic physics and engineering problems. Um, yeah. OK, yeah. So you get to build a lot of cool things and then you also presumably there's a lot of computation and computer stuff and we know that you love computers. Yes. <laughs> and cool. So uh, where did you start your civil engineering degree and how did that lead you to Oregon State? Yeah. Um, so I did my undergraduate at the University of Delaware and I... Um, I took, when I was taking fluid mechanics, which is a required undergraduate civil engineering course, um, I really liked the professor and uh, he was very kind and he gave me some undergraduate research work and I liked working with him and he sort of um, encouraged me to apply for a graduate program. Um, and then 
I ended up applying to OSU because um, I think really what drew me the most was the wave facility, actually. Um, it seemed like that might be cool to work at, and I got accepted here, and yeah. And the rest is history. Yeah, I've, I've actually heard about the infamous, like, the wave lab, and I think maybe through Maggie, but it wasn't till our conversation that I started hearing more about what goes on there. Really interesting stuff. I definitely would be interested if I were in engineering, but I'm still in the position where I don't know much about engineering, which is <laughs> why this has been so fun. There's a lot of really cool and some fairly um, cross-discipline experiments, you know, like uh, with mechanical engineers come in and do like wave energy conversion or um, some, they planted, uh, they made like a soil bed and they planted some grass and, and the tank not too long ago. Um, they do some okay. interesting stuff. Oh, right. So, but that's in the larger tank. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. This is, I didn't yeah. work on that project, but I saw so, it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm skipping us back to these, the tanks. Cause I'm like obsessed with this idea, but so there's three different tanks. Uh, you work in one of the smaller ones, but then there's this larger one. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, uh, you were describing that they did, they built artificial sand dunes. Yeah, well, I mean, it was real sand, um, and it really <laughs> looks like a dune. Um, but I mean, it's it's in like a long concrete uh, flume, so it, I guess, it's artificial in that sense. Um, mm -hmm. And then you know they ran waves at it and they did some neat looking stuff. And and so this wave is rather large. I hear that there's a legend that somebody actually surfed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Will you be surfing it? No, I. <laughs> well, I can't surf, so that would probably um, <laughs> get in the way. But yeah, mm. uh, there's some old photograph of somebody surfing. And, I see. Yeah. I kind of had this dream as we're talking about like how he got to the wave lab that you there. wanted to be in the wave lab. <laughs> You've made it. You're in your PhD now, and I'm wondering if it's a rite of passage. But it's probably a little dangerous. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, any surfing near rocks is not really recommended. Right, <laughs> right, generally. You do know how to sail. So maybe you could sail down the wave lab. Yeah, yeah. Well, it might be fun to put a, like a remote control boat in and, um, <laughs> you know, topple it over. I mean, how large is that tank if you can surf or sail in it? Uh, it's pretty big. Um, I don't know what the exact dimensions are, but think, you know, football field in length. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty long. Cool. It's a big glass tank. <laughs> well, there's this concrete. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> what do you do when you're not in the lab? Yeah. Or um, in the wave lab, I guess. I, I love, um, you know, you mentioned earlier, I like computers. I like video games. I love video games and playing them for as long as I can remember. Um, I also, but I like games of any kind, right? Card games, role-playing games. Um, uh, let's see. Yeah. <laughs> You've started self-hosting. Yeah, yeah. Um, Tell us what that is. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so there's something that uh, at least some people do, enough people that there's plenty of YouTube videos to watch about it, um, where maybe you're not, maybe you find the cloud services from Google, Microsoft, or Apple to be a little bit creepy. They know quite a bit about you, perhaps more than even your parents, right? <laughs> they know um, everything. <laughs> and, but the services they offer are maybe not too, they're not too special. You could go out and buy a computer of your own and run similar, um, almost feature equivalent software on your own computer. And that way you can, you know, you can sort of be in control of your data and, and the, the things that monitor you at least more in control. <laughs> cool. Right. We were talking about facial recognition and I was like, it's this amazing thing. And you're like, it's actually terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> don't want that. Right. You upload a photo album of you at the zoo and they know what you like to snack on and what <laughs> animals you visited and who you went with and what time. And 
Mm-hmm. You know. Sure. Okay. So we have a couple of traditions on inspiration dissemination. The first tradition is for you to give a piece of advice, and this can be to anyone you want. It could be to a former self, to someone on a similar path as you, maybe someone who also loves video games. (laughs) Um, And tell us what that advice is or what you thought about and who it is for. Mm -hmm. I I think uh, a piece of advice that I wish that I had maybe I even received this advice but I didn't act on it as much as I I could have is to be you know the the science and the engineering is really cool but to also focus on all the social aspects of you know going to a university um that was definitely something that I wish that I had put more time into doing things like a radio show (laughs) or um just really trying to maybe not networking in the sense that there's some goal to um, get a job later with a connection, but just to um, do broader things. Sure. I think that all grad students struggle with that. Yeah. So mm-hmm. reasonable. All right. Um, is there anything else you want to tell us about your research that you just love? Um, yeah. I mean, I just I, it, I just think it's awesome, you know, to uh, – shine a light in a special way and take a picture and all of a sudden you've got these really awesome measurements or the, I mean, the, the centrifuge project is just, it's such an interesting idea. Um, and anyone who wants to read about it, I'd probably put some links in the blog or whatever. Yeah, we've got the the blog running. Super interesting read. Cool. Um, Yeah. You've had a couple publications come out from your master's work in particular. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. Great. We can, we should put the links to that on the blog if they're not up there already. We'll do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on the yeah, show. Thanks so much oh, for having me. Fun. The second tradition we have is to play you out on a song, and we're going to play Surfin' USA for obvious reasons. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you want to support the show, please tell your friends about it and give a five-star review on Apple Podcasts so other podcast peeps can find our show. The theme music was performed by the OSU Drumline and the intro jingle was created by Olin Hannum. Special thanks to the supporting staff for KBVR that allowed this show and podcast to be possible. The show was started by Jean Convar and Joey Holber in 2012. Its hosts include Matt McConnell, Steve Friedman, Mackenzie Smith, Kristen Finch, Adrian Gallo, Lillian Paget Cobb, Lori Lutz, Heather Forsyth, Maggie Exton, Scott Classic, Marcus Weinman, Daniel Watkins, and Harrison Steyerwalt. To learn about other graduate students at Oregon State, or if you want to be part of the show, please visit our well-curated website at blogs.oregonstate.edu inspiration. And finally... Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter at KBVRID and Facebook at Inspiration Dissemination. Thank you for listening and stay curious, my friends.